0: We are almost halfway through, we are about halfway through, our sermon series for Lent and Easter that we're calling Including the Excluded, Including the Excluded. Um, In the sermon series, we are looking at Jesus' ministry in the third gospel, and that would be the gospel of Luke. Um, In Luke, more so than any other gospel in the New Testament, more than Matthew, more than Mark, more than John, in Luke, the writer paints a portrait of Jesus where it's clear that Jesus' heart is with the excluded, with the marginalized, with the outsiders of this world. Now, to recap where we have been so far in the sermon series, Uh, we have talked about the events surrounding the birth of Jesus as we find them in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. We have talked about Jesus' healing of a man with leprosy, and that story is in Luke chapter 5. We have talked about Jesus' ministry with a woman who is considered to be a sinner, immoral. That story is in Luke chapter 7. And in this message today, uh, we're going to talk about another group of excluded people that Jesus ministered to, and that would be the demon-possessed, the demon-possessed. As I'm sure we all know, throughout his public ministry as an adult, and as a reminder, Jesus' public ministry lasted for a period of three years, well, throughout that three-year period, Jesus exercised In other words, he cast out a number of demons or evil spirits from people. And the exorcism story that we're going to look at today, it is so famous, it's not only found in the Gospel of Luke, there's actually overlap here, it's also found in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. It's found in three of the Gospels, three out of four Gospels. It's probably one of the most well-known exorcism stories, if not the most well-known exorcism story in all the Gospels, and uh, this gentleman uh, was certainly excluded. In fact, no sermon series on Jesus' ministry with excluded people would be complete, in my opinion, without looking at the story. Now, the reason this man was excluded, as we said, is that he was possessed by a demon. And before we look at the story itself, I want to pause for a moment, because I know that for a lot of us, we hear that word demon-possession, and we're not quite sure how to react, are we? Because as modern 21st century people, demons don't seem to be a part of our everyday experience. We read about them in the Gospels, but they don't seem to be a part of our everyday experience. And let's be honest, for a lot of us, our thinking about demons has been shaped by horror movies like The Exorcist. How many of you have seen The Exorcist before? So. When we read in the Gospels that a big part of Jesus' public ministry as an adult involved exercising demons, casting out demons, again, we don't really have a category as modern people for thinking about all this, we start to wonder, well, what exactly did Jesus exercise? What exactly did Jesus cast out? And a question that some of us have is this. Is it possible that what these people had was not a demon in the literal sense, but could it have been something else? Maybe a mental illness or a medical condition, something that a doctor would diagnose today. I want to say a few words about this. Now, it's helpful to recognize that in the ancient world 2,000 years ago, when you had a condition that couldn't be explained, it was thought that perhaps a demon was behind your affliction. When When you had a condition that couldn't be explained, it was thought that perhaps a demon was behind your affliction. And there's actually an example of this in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, after he's rejected at Nazareth, he makes his home base in Capernaum, which is a nearby village. And we're told in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus is at the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Remember Simon Peter, his disciple, probably the most famous disciple? So he's at the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and Luke says that Simon Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and the fever won't go away. So what does Jesus do? Luke says that Jesus rebukes the fever, just like he would rebuke a demon, because it was assumed back then that demons were the cause of fevers. Nowadays, of course, we know that fevers are caused by viruses and infections, but 2,000 years ago, people didn't know all that. Does that mean that they were less smart than we are? Absolutely not. They just didn't have the same knowledge about the body that we have today. Just like people 100 years from now, 200 years from now, in future generations, they're going to have knowledge about the body, that we don't have right now in 2022. Our knowledge about the body, because of God's grace and because God has given us brains and the ability to engage in research and do science, our knowledge about the human body, it's always growing, it's always getting better. And so to me, I don't know this 100%, but to me, it is plausible that some conditions thought to be caused by a literal demon back then maybe would be diagnosed differently today uh, through medical science. The important thing to recognize is that whatever these people had that was oppressing them, that was holding them down and preventing them from experiencing the fullness of life, Jesus had the authority to cast it out. He had the authority to send it away. Jesus is sovereign over absolutely everything. He is king over this entire universe. That being said, I don't want us to assume that when we read a demon possession story in the Gospels, we think that we could just explain it away through our modern Western categories. In my opinion, that would be a mistake. I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. I am fully convinced that demons are real. C.S. Lewis, uh, the great 20th century lay theologian, he wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. And at the beginning of the book, he said that there are two mistakes that we can make when it comes to the devil and demons. Um, All human beings can make these mistakes, but particularly those of us modern people in the West. The first mistake would be to obsess about them, talk about them all the time, so much so that it's as if we put them on equal playing field with God, as if they could stand a chance. The second mistake, C.S. Lewis says, is to discount their existence altogether. And I would encourage us to resist both those options, particularly the second one. Because my reading of the New Testament tells me that demons are real. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, I believe it's in verse 12, Paul says that our present battle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, Paul is saying that our present battle in this world is not against human beings. Instead, Paul says our present battle is against powers, principalities, rulers of darkness, Paul's referring to the spiritual realm. Paul is saying that there are evil forces at work in this cosmos that are invisible to us, that we don't see. And I don't say all this to spook us out or anything like that, because the full reality is we don't have to be afraid of these evil forces. These evil forces are terrified of Jesus. These evil forces tremble in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the story from Luke chapter 8 that we're about to read demonstrates, just how terrified these evil forces are of the Lord Jesus. And so, with that said, that brings us today to Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 22 and 26. That's going to be our starting point, verses 22 and 26 of Luke 8, I'll be reading from the NLT, uh, the New Living Translation. The words are up here on the screen. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, and he's speaking here to the 12 disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. And then Luke says four verses later, so they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. Now, what I love about Luke is Luke is a very descriptive writer. He's very illustrative. He's detail-oriented. So what he is doing with these two verses is he is setting the stage for this story. So one day, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, let's get a boat. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, it's helpful for us to have a visual of where this story happens. We've got the map up here on the screen. Take a look at this map. The lake to which Jesus is referring when he says, let's cross to the other side of the lake, is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee isn't literally a sea, uh, it's a lake. It was known as the Sea of Galilee, but it's actually a large body of fresh water. Now what's happened is, Jesus has just finished doing ministry in Capernaum. Again, Capernaum became his home base after he was rejected at his hometown of Nazareth. In fact, Capernaum is where he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law of the fever that she had when he cast it away. And so when Jesus says, let's cross to the other side of the lake, the region that he's talking about is over here, uh, the bottom right, the country of the Gerasenes, also called the Decapolis. Um, Decapolis is a Greek term that simply means 10 cities because there were 10 cities in this area. Now, what's important for us to recognize is this. This was a predominantly Gentile area. In other words, the vast majority of the people who lived here were not Jewish. Uh, They did not follow the God of Israel. They did not practice the Jewish faith. Ordinarily, if you were a faithful Jewish person, you didn't go over here because Gentiles were considered to be unclean, and that would have made you unclean. So when Luke includes this comment from Jesus, let's get into the boat, let's go to the other side of the lake, Luke is being crystal clear that Jesus is intentionally going out of his way. He is purposely going out of his way, which causes us to ask this question. Why? Why does Jesus, of all the places that he he could go to right now, why does Jesus insist on going here? Has he heard rumors about this demon-possessed man? Have these rumors gotten so pervasive that they've traveled all the way to Capernaum? Keep in mind, there was no Facebook, there was no news, there was no social media back then, but these rumors have come all the way to Capernaum, causing Jesus to drop everything and to go to this man who, in every way that we can imagine, was excluded. I think that, like he does so often, Luke is demonstrating to us just how much Jesus' heart beats for the outcast. So, let's read on, uh, verses 27 through 29 of this passage. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, so they arrive in the region, he gets out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons, not even simply one demon, multiple demons, came out to meet him. That is, came out to meet Jesus. For a long time, we don't know how long it had been, maybe years for all we know, for a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked, now, I asked somebody in the last service if they could demonstrate the shriek. Can anybody this morning demonstrate the shriek? Come on, folks. <coughs> Something loud like that. Soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, notice the demon immediately recognizes Jesus for who he is. Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. What a scene. This story involves so many layers of exclusion. If ever there was an excluded person, this guy was that individual. To start with, this guy is a Gentile, so he's not Jewish like Jesus and the disciples. He's living in this predominantly Gentile area. But then on top of that, does he live with the townspeople? Is he a part of the community? No, he's an outcast. He he lives in a cemetery outside the village around a bunch of dead bodies. And what do you picture when you picture this guy? Just imagine that with me for a moment. How long has it been since he's had a haircut? How long has it been since he's shaved? How long has it been since he's had a bath? I read a quote this week from Aristotle. At one point, Aristotle said that the mind thinks in pictures. That's true, isn't it? The mind thinks in pictures. So this is the picture that comes into my mind whenever I come across the story. It's up here on the screen. Does anybody remember what movie this is from? Caveman? This is from the movie Jumanji with Robin Williams, a very gifted actor. And so this is Robin Williams' character from Jumanji. Jumanji is a board game and he was trapped in this board game. You've got to watch the movie. But uh, he just jumps out of it because he's been trapped in the jungle for like 26 years or something like that. Actually, Luke tells us that this guy's condition was worse than this because this guy doesn't have any clothes on. He's running around naked. Somebody said, uh-oh, he's running around naked. That's why this story will never be enacted in church. We will never see a play on this story. <laughs> it would be inappropriate. And clearly, this guy must have been hurting himself or hurting other people because the townspeople saw it fit to chain him up. But the demons inside of him, evidently, they were so strong that they just overwhelmed him and he breaks apart these chains, so we can imagine he's got like a handcuff here and a handcuff here. Can you imagine? The rumors that spread about this guy? Whenever somebody's behavior is different and unusual, that's what we're really good at doing as people. We're not good at helping them necessarily, coming alongside them. We are really good at gossiping and spreading rumors. I've been guilty of this. When I started my freshman year of college, I moved into the residence hall and there was a guy who lived in the residence hall with me, and right away, this guy got a reputation for being weird. I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about somebody else. (laughs) Though I probably had that reputation too, to a certain degree. To begin with, we had this bench. Just imagine this with me. There was this bench outside the residence hall, and students who smoked, they would sit down and they would smoke on the bench, because they couldn't smoke inside, or they would sit on the bench and they would talk to their friends, Well, it didn't seem to matter what time of day it was. If it was 7 o'clock in the morning, if it was noontime, if it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if it was 8 o'clock at night, this guy seemed to always be on the bench. I'd go to class and come back a few hours later. He was on the bench when I left for class. He was on the bench when I came back. Or sometimes on a Friday night, my friends and I, we'd go out to eat and go see a movie, come back a few hours later. He was on the bench when we left. He was on the bench when we came back. It was as if he never moved. Sometimes it would seem as if he was talking to himself, having a conversation with himself when he was on the bench. Or other times there would be other students and they would be talking to each other, you know, as friends, and this guy would stand up and he would invite himself in the conversation and then he would make random comments that had nothing to do with what the people were talking about. So people started to talk about him they came up with a nickname for him. They called him Stoop Kid. Stoop Kid was a character on a cartoon uh, in the 90s, and a lot of these guys, myself included, we were children of the 90s, and so that's where that reference came from. Because this guy, they said, he never left his stoop, never left his bench. He was always there. Folks, I regret to share with you that among my friends, I call that guy Stoop Kid. I participated in some of that gossip and some of those rumors, probably because of insecurities I had inside of myself. You know what happened to that guy? He didn't even finish out the first semester. He left after about two months of being there. In fact, his roommate, I didn't show this in the last service, but his roommate, when his roommate realized that this guy was getting a bad reputation, he asked the residence hall people if he could move out because he didn't want to be associated with him. You know what's even sadder? I couldn't even tell you what his real name is. Because I never took the time to sit on that bench with him and to have a conversation with him and to befriend him. God forgive me. I screwed up. What nicknames did the people in the garrisons have for this man? Demon-possessed Danny. Lunatic Leonard. Can you imagine the nicknames? But Jesus saw past all the nicknames. Jesus saw past all the layers of exclusion, and Jesus saw this man for who he truly was, a child of God who was suffering tremendously. And Jesus' anger, his righteous anger, welled up within him against the forces of evil that were holding this man hostage. And so Jesus liberated him. Let's read on. Jesus demanded, he's speaking here to the demon, Jesus demanded, what is your name? Now Jesus asked the demon for his name, and the reason for this, in the ancient world, it was assumed that if you had somebody's name, then you could exercise a degree of power over that person. And if we think about it, this actually carries a lot of truth. For example, if I see you at the grocery store later on this afternoon and you have your back turned toward me, but I say to you, hey, Grady, or hey, Barbara, or hey, Ty, or Adam, what you're going to do is you're going to stop what you're doing, you're going to turn around, and you're going to look at me. So in a sense, I will have influenced your behavior. I will have exercised a degree of power over you. Do you remember the story of God and Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3? What did Moses ask God for when God told Moses, go to Egypt? I want to know what your name is. Because again, the thinking is, if I have somebody's name, I can exercise control. Moses actually thought that he could exercise control over God. So the demon, or I'm sorry, Jesus asked the demon for his name, and this is the demon's response. This is verse 31. Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. Jesus asked the demon for his name, and the demon responds with the word Legion. What is this about? At this time, Israel was an occupied territory of what government? The Roman government. Rome had come in, it was oppressing God's people during this time. The emperor was Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Well, Legion. Was a military word, a Roman military word that was used to refer to a regiment of at least 5,500 Roman soldiers. This is a, an artist illustration of what a Roman legion looked like. In other words, that's the demon's creative way of saying there are thousands of us in this guy. This is the kind of power we wield over his man. Is it any wonder why he's naked, why he's breaking all these handcuffs and doing all this crazy stuff? This is the kind of power we have over him. But the demons are smart enough to know, demons aren't stupid, they're smart enough to know that this power is nothing compared to the kind of power that the Son of God has. And so they beg Jesus for mercy. They say, Jesus, please, whatever you do, don't send us into the abyss. Don't send us into the bottomless pit. In other words, they're saying, please don't send us into hell. Hell is so bad that even the demons don't want to go there. And so Luke tells us in the next verse, there's this herd of pigs. Remember, this is a Gentile region. Jewish people wouldn't have had pigs but because pigs were considered unclean, but Gentiles had pigs. They see these pigs and they say, well, send us into the herd of pigs. Now, what the demons are trying to do, they're trying to outsmart Jesus. They're trying to trick him. Because they know that Jesus is not from this area. Eventually, he's going to get in the boat, go back to Capernaum. At that point, they'll leave the pigs and go back into the man. There's nothing binding them in the pigs. But Jesus is not going to be outsmarted by a bunch of silly demons. So he says, okay, you have my permission. Go into the pigs. Listen to what happens. Verse 33, then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. I don't know what that would have looked like, but they came out of the guy, into the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. The pigs are destroyed, and because the demons no longer have a host, where do they end up going? Right back into hell, the very place from which they came. Jesus exercises thousands of demons from the sky. But rather than being happy about it, rather than rejoicing about this, the townspeople get freaked out. They say to Jesus, Get out of here. It makes them uncomfortable the kind of power that Jesus has, that Jesus has complete power over the demonic. And this is something that we need to hold on to in our lives today when we encounter evil forces in our worlds. I am fully convinced, as I said, that demons and evil forces are real. But in my experience, these evil forces don't typically come to us in this manner that we just read about. I think that this is certainly possible, but it's an extreme example. Instead, in my experience, demons and evil forces tend to come to us in ways that are more subtle, less obvious, but still dangerous. We're unhappy in our marriage, and we think, well, My spouse and I, we don't really talk. We're never intimate. We're not on the same page. There's that person who's shown an interest in me. I'm not happy right now. Isn't my happiness important? Then all of a sudden, the affair begins. Or perhaps we're recovering from an addiction to alcohol, and we think, well, is one drink really going to matter? Is one drink really going to make a difference? I remember one time I officiated a funeral for a gentleman who died of alcohol-related issues, and his family said to me, the demons got to him. That's how the demons had showed up to him. It was through the bottle. I think that like what Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden, that evil forces are really good at getting inside of our head and using our struggles against us. I remember talking to somebody who for a long time suffered from anorexia, and there would be these voices in her head, and they would say to her, don't eat that food, you're going to put on weight, people are going to make fun of you. Meanwhile, her body wasted away. Or I remember talking to another guy, he was suicidal, and these voices in his head kept saying, nobody cares about you, just end it all, even though that was far from true. I know that for me, these evil voices have always plagued on my insecurities when it comes to God's call calling my life to the ministry. In fact, for a long time, I suffered from what some people call imposter syndrome. You ever heard of that? Feeling like I was an imposter, that somebody was going to find me out, that I really didn't belong in pastoral ministry, that my gifts weren't good enough. So my question for you this morning is this, in what ways have the demons tried to influence you? What I love most about this story is that Jesus intentionally sought this man out who in every way was excluded, and he completely liberated him of his demons, and that's what the Son of God wants to do in our lives too. He wants to liberate us from our demons, whatever those demons look like, whatever those demons involve, whatever those demons are trying to do. And do you know why Jesus has the authority to do this? Because Jesus is God. And as God, Jesus has complete sovereignty over everything in this universe. Take a listen to the very last line of the story. It says, The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, No. Go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. So, Jesus says to the guy, go tell your family what God has done for you. What does the guy do? He tells everybody what Jesus has done. He makes the connection. Jesus is God. Listen, folks, when it comes down to it, we don't need to be afraid of demons or evil forces. We don't need to spend our lives obsessing about them, worrying about them. All we need to do when we feel these evil forces plaguing us is simply surrender ourselves to God and trust ourselves to God. And there's actually a way that we can do this. And so I'm going to share this with you real quickly because I know that, gosh, we're already at noontime. (laughs) Martin Luther, who played a key role in the Protestant Reformation, it's been said that Martin Luther often battled demons, these evil voices in his head that caused him to doubt God's love. Whenever this happened, he would take his fingers and dip his fingers in water And then make the sign of the cross on his forehead, and he would say, Martin, be calm. You are baptized. In other words, relax. You belong to God, not to these evil forces. And so I would encourage us to do that. Whenever we're feeling tempted or we're feeling like these evil forces are coming to us, go into the bathroom, go to your kitchen, dip your finger in some water, make the sign of the cross on your forehead and say, Megan, be calm, you are baptized. Robbie, be calm, you are baptized. Olga, be calm, you are baptized. Charlie, be calm, you are baptized. You belong to God. And even if you're not baptized, you can still do this because baptism signals the identity that we already have in God because of Jesus Christ. And that said, if you're not baptized, I hope that you will talk to myself or to Will so that we can make that happen with you. We belong to God. God who is king over everything. Never, ever forget that. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, please forgive me when I have not embodied your inclusive love. Please forgive all of us for that very thing Remind us, God, that you have come for all human beings in Jesus Christ, that your deepest desire is for all people to recognize who they are in you, to be made into disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Continue to liberate us from our demons, whatever those demons look like, whatever they're trying to do. Remind us, God, that our identity is in you and in no one and nothing else. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.